Are the police institutionally racist? No. That is not my experience. Um, has it been in the past? Um, maybe. But um, certainly the officers that I have seen and spoken to and the processes involved, I do not believe are. But I, I, I am very, very attuned to it. And I'm very, very concerned about making sure that uh, if there are uh, any cases uh, of this that are dealt with very firmly. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, we talk to the newly elected Police and Crime Commissioner, Mark Shelford. Here's the first political party appointment, being a member of the Conservative Party. Seeing across the whole of Avon and Somerset, how is he going to navigate the situation in the Shires and in Bristol, a Labour city? The Police and Crime Bill, Mark is in support of this, why we dive deep into that, and the Colson statue, at the time he made some quite controversial comments about the police and their tactics, does he stand by that? And institutional racism, how will he build on some of the positive action that's taken place across the force under his predecessor? And does he have a hotline to Boris and Pretty Patel? And how will that impact on Bristol? Congratulations on winning. For those that don't know, May of this year, Mark was crowned a police crime commissioner. Obviously, this is the first time we've had a, a political party representative for the police crime commissioner role. Were you confident going into the election, Mark? Did you expect to win? Um, like all of these things, I've been a local councillor before. You're never confident until the final vote but certainly towards the latter part of the campaign it was very positive on the doorstep. Uh, And why do you think you were able to win as a Conservative candidate than the other candidates previous to you hadn't? Well I think my my background helped the fact that I'd been a soldier for 32 years and I'd experienced a, a number of different police forces all around the world So that was helpful. I'd also been a a local councillor and understood about the processes and and the actual sort of detail of campaigning. What people don't realise is, I mean, the PCC role is even far broader than the Metro Mayor. You go right across the region. It's 16 constituencies, South Gloucestershire, through Bristol and Bath, all the way down to the Dorset and Devon borders and across to Wiltshire. That's a huge it, area. It is. And often, presumably, lots of different priorities and issues, depending on where in the region you are. Yes, uh, there are. But there are some common themes. People want to be safe, want to feel safe. Your six key priorities are reassuring residents, fighting crime, not more admin. <laughs> Three, representing all our communities. Four, more focus on rural crime. Five, smarter working with health services. And six, boosting morale and officer support. Interesting thing you said about rural crime. Obviously, the area that you cover, and I imagine the, the concerns in those areas are very different. Yes, I mean, I think there's straightforward rural crime, which affects, for mm. example, illegal hair coursing, damaging crops and taking cattle away, those sorts of crime. But then there's crime that happens in the rural area, which is very similar to that 
uh, of um, cities, so uh, county lines. County, I was going to say that the county lines thing is sort of spread from cities out, isn't it, in, into those rural areas. County lines is a form of criminal exploitation in which criminals groom and manipulate children into drug dealing. The lines refer to mobile phones that are used to control a young person who is delivering drugs, often to towns outside their home county. It, it, it does. And then there are also the, the silent crimes of domestic violence uh, and uh, cyber fraud. It's just as prevalent in the rural communities as it is in the cities. Do you think your military background, you say, was it 30 years? You said you were, you were in the military. Yeah, a little, yeah. little over 30 years. A little 30 years. You, you were involved. Uh, you, do you have involved in Afghanistan as well? Yeah. You yeah. were, I, yes. I, Her Majesty was very, very generous and, and sent me all over the world, including some trouble spots as well. Your service in the military will stead you in good stead for, for, for this position? I think so. I think, first of all, being comfortable with diverse communities and, and really talking to them and by travelling the world, uh, helping them. One of the aspects that I found is that people are very s- similar. No matter what your colour or creed or where you come from, you all want your children to be healthy and safe and educated and get good jobs. Um, I think the second aspect was that as a soldier, one is used to uniformed service, so you understand there's a chain of command. And particularly from the point of view that my office and I set the strategic goals and don't get involved in the day-to-day, shall we say, tactical element. What was your rank in, in the military? I retired as a lieutenant colonel. I think there's that kind of perception and you coming into the role in Bristol, which is, you know, predominantly a Labour city, that you know, a conservative ex-military man that you're kind of coming in to sort of crack the whip. Well, I think Bristol is a fantastic, eclectic mix. Certainly from the point of view of, of working with uh, local MPs and the Metro Mayor, I'm very comfortable with doing that. I've, in my political life, I've always worked cross-party. Yes, I'm a conservative, of course I am, but that's not the issue here. As the PCC, I'm there to, to make sure that everybody is safe. Do you have a direct line to Boris and to Priti Patel? How, how does it work? I don't. I don't think I'd say that I had them on speed dial. I think that would be. <laughs> okay, right. But, yeah. but um, as all PCCs of whatever colour or creed, they they go through the same channels as I do to to talk to the ministers, and the ministers do listen, and they are extremely supportive of the PCCs, both the policing minister Kit Malthouse and also the Home Secretary. What's your current relationship with the city leaders? Did you get on well with the mayor, Marvin Rees? Yeah, I, and I did before. I know Marvin from old. We were on WECA committees previously, West of England Combined Authority yeah. committees previously when I was the deputy leader at Bath. And I have met a number of times and spoken to the current West of England mayor. So um, yeah, we get on very well. So you don't see entering into Bristol as sort of being behind enemy lines then? Absolutely not. Why would you? It's such a fabulous city. It's so exciting. Great restaurants, great architecture, fabulous people. Why would I ever not think that? There have been some quite big key uh, differences of opinion, hasn't there? So when the Colson statue came down in June 2020, you did say, this is a direct quote, this is a shocking example of what can happen when the police effectively surrender control of our streets. This must never happen again in Avon and Somerset. This is a very slippery slope indeed. Obviously, poetic justice was what the mayor said. They were very much uh, in favour and there was a whole kind of campaign by city leaders to support the 
chief constable at the time who stood the police back on the day of, of the statue coming down. Your position is obviously very, very different than that. Is this a conversation you've had with the mayor? Um, I think we're all very uh, supportive of, of the police and, and um, the work. The specific, I wasn't very supportive of, but the mayor and I have certainly seen eye to eye on, on a number of aspects. What was it about the policing on that day you didn't agree with? I, I, I don't agree with people taking the law into their own hands. And it's really important that and deal robustly with people who are intent on committing criminal acts. I mean, it's as simple as that. What, what could they have done, do you think? What could they have done better on the day? Well, the, 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 I don't want to get into the tactical bits of this because, first of all, it's not my place. I'm there to set strategic intent. But the, the key is to make sure that we talk to each other and that we're in agreement what we're trying to achieve at the end of the day, and that is upholding the law. Because it's the kind of, uh, and a lot of people I've spoken to would, would say that we didn't hear a Bristolian accent very much. It was all students and that in effect, what has happened, that there is a direct correlation between the Colson statue coming down, the police tactics of stepping back and what happened with the the recent police protest. Because there's a kind of sense that Bristol is fair game for the protest movement for anarchists, for people to come in across the region and do what they want. Do you think that's true or, or is that being a bit hyperbolic? I, I think that's um, hyperbolic, but the, 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 the important issue is to make sure that everybody understands that um, people who try and commit criminal offences, uh, they will be brought to account by the police. If we move on to those protests in particular, the, the police and crime bill protests, there was a sense, I think, on the first couple of nights that the mayor and the city had lost control. When you saw the pictures of the police station being attacked, windows being smashed, the police vans being caught on fire, how did you feel? Well, the, the, the first thought was a huge sympathy to the police officers who are in the front line. I personally have been in the front line of riots in my military service, and I know how frightening it is. I mean, it is truly scary as petrol bombs go off in your feet. It's no fun at all. I I was deeply sympathetic and very concerned about those people, those police officers that have been injured. I do think the police showed remarkable, courageous restraint in the way that they uh, dealt with an incredibly violent demonstration and riot. I mean, people who come to peacefully protest don't bring fireworks in their pockets to throw up police horses and dogs. I mean, that was predetermined. They meant to cause trouble. And I think the police did very well in in doing what they did. Can there be lessons learned about how they did it? Of course. And the system is working through that. And it's one of those things that I'm very keen on is to make sure every event that the police take part in they learn lessons, and those lessons are learned quickly. What were the lessons, do you think? I, I, again, that's a tactical matter, and, it, and it's not for me. I am very concerned that the process works. I think it was interesting, the, the kind of narrative in Bristol, which kind of changed an opinion, I think, throughout the week. They obviously had a series of protests. For those that don't know, at this point, there were specific coronavirus restrictions and police were told to move people on that were following those. When you had the situation at College Green, the police tactics were a lot heavier and it kind of lost, I think, 
some of the good faith and public opinion in the city. So when you saw those protests and the policing at those events, when you said about restraint earlier, do you feel that police demonstrated enough restraint at the at the follow-up protests? Um, yes, I did. And, and particularly towards the end of the week, as you know, the restrictions changed halfway through the, the week. Yeah. And that allowed the police to talk to or encouraged those people organising demonstrations to talk to the police. Whereas previously they felt, I think, concerned that if they talked to the police, they might get arrested because of their breaking corona yeah. restrictions. Um when, when they were able to then talk to the police and felt comfortable doing so, um, the, the policing of those demonstrations was considerably better from the point of view of the people who took part in them behaved in a much better way, which meant that the police didn't have to do some of those activities that you were talking about. Do you support the police and crime bill? Yes, absolutely. And I can tell you, so do a vast majority of the people that I spoke to on the doorstep. Yeah. There are, there are things in there that are so important. It's not just about demonstrations. It, it's all about, you know, sentencing rules for serious criminals and so that they can spend more time in, in, in jail. It's talking about uh, jailing child murderers for their entire time. There's a piece about terrorism. You're right. It's a longer report and it covers, it's more extensive than, than perhaps some of the coverage. Why do you think a lot of that's gone missing? Because it's the kind of elements around writing is a small part of the overall bill why does that seem to be the thing that people have focused on well because i think that that, you know that's things that uh, people decided uh to to do so um i i think the bill is very good it covers a whole raft of things that people wanted and it and it is basically tidying up what was already there into one bill and, and making sure it was easier one of the things that i've spoken to all the mps irrespective of their party within the area, is that when they make new laws, please remember those people who have to then enforce them at the other end and make sure that it's more clear, very straightforward and less grey area for those police officers on the front line to have to interpret. Yeah, there was some confusion, wasn't there? If we just return to that protest, it was quite confusing for the police and what they could and what they couldn't do. When you, I think you said earlier that the, the situation became better when some of the coronavirus restrictions were lifted. There was able to be dialogue between the police and the protest organisers. Um, in the current bill, and, and I think you're right, clearly, that clearly there was no trouble, there, there was hardly any rest, it was a completely different feel to the situation. In the current actual bill, it does talk about being able to restrict the times of protest and move people on. So should that be something that they should reflect and think about? Well, I think that it's up to our politicians to make sure that they do reflect and and get the bill absolutely right. It's not for me. No, but what's uh, your opinion, though? What's your personal opinion? If you've just, well, you my, just said my, my, you've acknowledged that, that it was more peaceful, yeah, do you think that my, that perhaps could be, could be one of the things that is adjusted? My, my personal opinion is that it certainly worked far better uh, when the rules changed. And we all saw that, and that needs to be reflected in the bill. Did you see that, you know, there was a recent, I think, parliamentary inquiry that did find, um, quoting, unnecessary and excessive force used by the police in Clapham and in Bristol. And there were examples of journalists, including some of the Bristol Cable, 
being accosted, uh, you know, attacked might be a bit strong by by the police. We've had a um, fairly fairly, uh, I would say, hard jail sentences being handed out for the offence of riot, which is quite unusual. So it's a custodial sentence for that. Um, four men have been been given jail terms, including an eighteen year old. Um, at the moment, it feels as if there is less of a pushback against police tactics by the government and more of a trying to take back sort of control. Where is the line for you? You talk about Pelian policing. The Pelian principles summarise the ideas that former Prime Minister Sir Robert Peel developed to define an ethical police force. He is the founder of the Met and seen as the father of modern policing. The approach is policing by consent, which means that police officers are regarded as citizens in uniform. This means that general consensus should follow around transparency of their powers, integrity in exercising those powers and accountability for doing so. Where is that line whereby you can find and encourage peaceful protest but also be able to take control of of situations? Policing by consent is the absolute jewel in the crown uh, and we need to protect it completely. But as far as the second part to your question is concerned, Mm. it is a a fine balance. And I personally fully support the right of of British people to protest. I think it's absolutely important that it's enshrined in British legislation, which it is. But we have to have that balance. And as soon as it becomes a public order issue and people's lives and health are put at risk, then, then the police need to intervene. Were they, do you think those, the jail terms of sentencing is quite strong? Well, it's not. That's not for me to to comment. That's part of the judiciary and, and for the yeah. MPs. Because one of the changes to one of the recent bills is around. Uh, if we just go back a little bit to the statue stuff, is that you can effectively be given. I think it was seven years for throwing a statue into the water, which would be the same as throwing a kind of human being. Is there a danger that perhaps the Conservative government have become a little bit reactive? and a bit kind of panicky to to try and reclaim some kind of control in the cities in fear of losing that a bit? No, I don't think so. And I think, um, as I said, the bill was all about um, tidying up things that were already there and and making them simpler and and easier to understand and less grey area. But the statute thing's a new law, though, isn't it? I think think you're right. I don't specifically know about um, that part of it. I just want to jump in there if I can and tell you about a membership drive this month to try and get 3,000 members. So we're hoping to get 400 new members to join us. And what I want to kind of say really is that this show, Bristol Unpacked, which started at the beginning of lockdown, is getting thousands and thousands of people locally listening every single episode. And thank you for that. But also for it to continue we kind of need some financial sustainability in the organisation. It's membership-owned, as you know, and all of us to do that, we do need more members. So I implore you, if you enjoy the show, if you also read the paper and you like the online articles that the cable do and the various documentaries, then please do join a couple of quid every month. If you really want an independent media, arguably what I would say a media that Bristol needs, then it needs to be financed. So please chip in and please help out. Back to the chat. Okay, let's move. Let's move on from from this. Let's talk a bit about the police in general. Are, are the police institutionally racist? No, 
That is not my experience. Um, has it been in the past? Um, maybe. But certainly the officers that I have seen and spoken to and the processes involved, I do not believe are. But I, I, I am very, very attuned to it. And I'm very, very concerned about making sure that if there are uh, any cases uh, of this that are dealt with very firmly. I, I think probably even Somerset Police, I think they've done quite a lot of work to try and rebuild relationships with certain communities in Bristol, particularly the black community. We've had under Sue Mike Stevens' watch the introduction of the LAMI review. Is that something you're going to continue with now you're in post? Yes, very definitely. What do you see its role as? I, I, I think all of these uh, types of groups that help us with scrutiny are there to help us make sure that we keep on engaging the right way. We look at preventing any types of racism. They do a really good... I mean, even some of the set police themselves have, in a, in a report after Bijan Ibrahimi's murder, been declared as institutionally racist. In 2017... Safer Bristol carried out a report which concluded that Avon and Somerset Police and Bristol City Council were guilty of institutional racism. This was over the handling of Iranian Bijan Ibrahini, who was murdered in 2013. Two members of Avon and Somerset Police were jailed for misconduct and two other constables were dismissed from the force. This was the most explicit against a police force since 1999 McPherson report on the racist murder of Stephen Lawrence in London, and it was the first of its kind against a local authority. We've obviously had incidents with the tasering of Ras Judah. There have been some problems and issues in the police force locally, which I guess has propelled uh, the likes of the Lime Review. Do you accept that there have been elements within the police that are racist? I, I, as I said right at the beginning of this particular piece, yes, previously I do. How far back you go when you say previously? Well, all I can comment about is from the time that I took over as the PCC, um, from that moment when I started to look and uh, talk to people and make sure that we were scrutinising the police, I have not found um, evidence of it. And I am very, very open to any of those reports coming to me. I want to make sure that we, if there is any racism, we stamp it out. Very firmly. I mean, national stats. Can I, can can I, I just, can I just make one point? National stats do indicate, you know, a significant disproportionality to, say, for example, stop and search. Um, I mean, that that's by the police's own admission. That is something that's been recognised as being institutionally racist, isn't it? Well, uh, let's talk about disproportionality because I think that's really um, helpful. One of the things that I did when I came in was to try and look at the recruiting of police staff and police officers and wanting to make sure that our representation was better than it is. And I formed a a high-level committee with the chief constable to look at this, to try and improve it significantly. Because I've said whatever's been going on in the last uh, few years as far as recruiting is concerned clearly hasn't worked because we haven't got the numbers up to where we should be. So we need to take some risk here. We need to be imaginative. And we also need to think about the long-term reasons why perhaps people haven't chosen to join the police force and try and correct them. 
and make sure that that trust with the communities, if it has been fragile previously, is made stronger. And, and there is clearly an issue in representation. Do you see that if you increase the representation amongst black and ethnic minority communities coming into the police, that will improve policing? And if so, why? Yeah, I think locally it will help because people will have a better understanding of shared and lived experience apart from anything else. Acts of stop and search then would be less likely to happen. Well, stop and search is a very important tool that the police have, particularly about keeping people safe. And certainly when I've spoken to mothers who've had their children injured, particularly by knife crime, they, they absolutely want the police to have that tool, and I'm very supportive of it. But it needs to be used correctly with the right uh, sort of intelligence background to the situation, etc. Would Would it be used less with, with more representation? I don't know. But by having better representation, I think overall would, would work better with the community. Perhaps be less less punitive, more pastoral. Certainly, to encourage those um, relationships to to blossom. I think that's really, really important. And that's part of my job too, to make sure I go and speak to all the communities, which I'm trying at the moment to get around as many as I can, mm. and listen to their issues. And, and on the rural urban thing, I mean, there's also reality as well, as we touched on earlier, is that the, the demographic um, in... The, the shires in your the area in which you cover in relation to to Bristol is 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 very very different and at, at the same time as there are diversity initiatives and police trying to maybe build a better relationship with certain communities and also is there also a danger that that the people that voted you in Mark will be like look at this pandering to minority groups really you're not talking to us you're not representing us. You know, I guess this this culture war stuff that we're seeing now is 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 played out very much. I see Bristol as being in the middle of this stuff. It's not a it's not a zero sum game. It's not a yeah. uh, black and white. It's, there's there's an ability to work across the whole region, and that's why even Somerset as a police force is such a joy because it is it is so diverse, so big in the issues that it needs to deal with. Yeah. It must be really exciting for any person who wishes to be the future chief constable, which, yeah. as you know, I'm about to recruit. Yeah, when are you recruiting for that? Well, the adverts went out Tuesday last week. So, And for those that don't know the, the, the role of PCC, you get to appoint the um, chief constable. What, what's the process, the recruitment process? How does it work? Is it just like a job advert, essentially? Or can you headhunt certain people? No, it's a, well, I suppose that the, the reality is people have to apply. Yeah. But, uh, of course, um, the police is quite a small organisation in total. So everybody knows who, which force is coming up for yeah. a new chief constable. I'm sure there'd be phone calls whizzing around from people to people. But um, as far as I'm concerned, once people have completed the application form, there will be a sieve of uh, those forms. Uh, and then a number of people will be invited to uh, uh, a series of interview days. Which so this could happen. be somebody that's already within the Avon Somerset Force. It could be somebody completely on the other side of the country. Correct. Uh, yeah. Okay. In fact, as far because we have to follow the College of Policing yeah. rules and regulations, I happened to be flicking through it as we were preparing to produce the process, and I noticed that a number of foreign police 
forces. Certain officers from those were entitled to take part, if they wished to, in British selection for chief constable, including the chief of police of Virginia Beach Police Force, which had been my local police force when I'd served in NATO in America. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's gone far, far and wide then. You haven't, you haven't I haven't gone... heard from them, however, I have to say. <laughs> okay. um, what sort of character are you looking for? Uh, to be good at policing. That's the start point. Yeah. What I really, really want is a strong, robust and resilient leader who can understand the wide variety that we've discussed in this interview so far uh, between um, the, the Devon borders and um, centre of Bristol and how yeah. different communities need different things. And they need to be able to sweat out of every pore of their body those Helian principles. Because of your previous comments around Colston and your comments, you've been quite clear in this interview and, and upfront about your, your views on the police and crime bill. W- would it attract somebody that is a little bit more politically right or a bit more centre-right amongst the police force? I, I am not after any person's political views as, as Chief Constable. I want them to be a good police officer yeah. and a good leader. That's what I'm really after. And I, What have they I, said in their interview, if you ask them a question, and they said, well, I agreed with Andy Marsh stepping the police down at the Colson statue because it prevented a riot and that was intelligent community policing. Would they, would they then be kind of considered a little bit wishy-washy for the role for you? Well, f- first of all, that's not a question I necessarily ask because it doesn't... It doesn't <laughs> that wouldn't come up for the interview, no, OK. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. elicit yeah. what I want um, yeah. out of that as far as making sure that they can deal at strategic level. Yeah. So, first of all, there's a panel, so it's not just me making mm. a decision. The process, which would include media interviews and going in front of different... Yeah other panels, representative panels, it, it, all of that comes together ultimately in a, a series of thoughts about each candidate, mm-hmm. which will then deliver to me an idea of who should be selected. There, there won't be a pass-fail question, for example. Sure, okay. Really well, why, why did Andy Marsh step down? Was it because he felt he couldn't work with you? No, I think he'd, he'd come to the end of his contract um, and we now know he had other, other irons in the fire as he's now gone off to be the chief executive of the College of Policing. So, but yeah, we both know he was heavily criticised by the Conservative government. And it was very much may, a, kind of, may, a bit of a political football. Sources tell me that there was a huge dressing down in front of police chiefs across the country, that this was, this was an embarrassment to the government. Well, all I can say is from my knowledge... He was incredibly good to me as I took over. He was a very good mentor, gave me extremely good advice. And previously, I had invited him to stay on. You, you had um, invited him to stay on. So if he, had yeah, he stayed? Had he, had he chosen to, to renew his contract? But he wanted to try something new in life. Okay. Um, let's move on to talking to and communicating with the public. We've got a survey out at the moment that you want feedback from local people, which closes on the 20th of September. This is clearly important to you to get feedback. Give us a sort of indication of what you're asking people to contribute and how can you reassure people that what they say will be listened to and and will formulate any strategy that you implement going forward. Thank you, Neil, for asking that question. The, the, the issue here is turning the manifesto that I got a voted in on into a police and crime 
plan yeah. and that is being consulted on. So there are a series of questions over the priorities which we've had a hugely good response to across the spectrum, which we're very, very pleased with. And I can tell you, my team are in crunching data at the moment. We are all about listening to what people have said. How do you how do you manage that situation? Because I suppose it's always that thing around giving people, giving communities a voice, but also managing expectation as well, because it can be quite tricky. Yeah, it is. And we're working through making sure that the principles are right and that the gut feel that I got on the doorstep across the whole of the region was correct. Mm-hmm. And then how that's turned into a plan is, for example, you, you talked earlier on about the fact that my mandate was slightly weaker in certain areas. Yeah. Well, we went out to target those areas specifically. And for example, we sent out 20,000 postal surveys to those uh, areas that uh, the mandate was as weakest. And we've had really, really good response. We are listening uh, to their responses, make sure we've got it right. Is there anything new, uh, anything new, different, radical that you feel you're going to implement or introduce that you've, you've had in mind before coming into the role that your predecessor perhaps didn't? Making sure that everything we do, everything the police does is focused to start with about preventing crime happening. Um, that means boosting the neighbourhood uh, teams. Okay, so yeah. There are, there are more and more robust neighbourhood teams with better local representation. So kind of all, like you're getting more old-fashioned bobbies on the beat or more PCSOs around in communities. That, that's something you'd like to see? Or like- I, I think that there's no doubt that the, police, that the public absolutely like uh, more visible policing. There's no question about that. And where we can, we must. And part of, you, you mentioned it earlier on, part of my thing is to reduce the administration, to drive down the administration of officers so that they can spend more time out reassuring the public that the police are there for them and you partly campaigned on that we really be in a position to do something about that because aren't these decisions made more centrally than locally i mean do you have any power to cut red tape i guess is my question yeah and and in some ways uh, in some areas i do i'm just understanding what those levers are and how we can uh, address it so for example there's a particular type of software that the police officers and PCSOs have to fill in when they've been on a patrol. And I asked a very simple question uh, in my first week in the job. I said, have the consultants who wrote the software been on patrol uh, with the police officers and then filled in the forms after a patrol? And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And I said, do you not think it might be a good idea to get them uh, in order to see how clunky it was and how they could improve it from the point of view of the police officer's perspective? So we're doing work uh, along those lines of pragmatically mm. trying to reduce the admin burden on the police officers and, and PCSA. And I have to say, I am absolutely loving every second of it. You're enjoying it, yeah? You've oh, settled in well, yeah? It's okay. fabulous. Surrounded by top quality staff who are all devoted to make the people of Aden and Somerset safer. I mean, who could not want to have a job like this? Great. Thank you ever so much, Mark. It's really good talking to you. We've, so we've, we've been being filmed, haven't we, throughout, throughout this conversation as well? We, we have, yes, by Channel 4. Who, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a documentary being made. Has that made you feel more self-conscious with the camera crew, or have you been, are you quite comfortable with that now? They've been following you around for a while, haven't they? 
Um, of course one feels self-conscious. You'd be a, a, a lunatic if you didn't. Do you want to just give a last little plug, if you can, to people listening if they want to fill out the survey? They go to Avon and Somerset forward slash PCC, have I got that right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, please do. And be really grateful uh, for anybody who does that because we actually accurately reflect the, the people of Avon and Somerset. Thanks, Mark. And to you. Thank you. Many thanks to the Police and Crime Commissioner Mark Shelford for talking to us this week. Next week, we'll be back, and it's all about Bristol Nightlife. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Max, and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. And if you do want to become a member of The Cable and join 2,600 Bristolian members all across the city chipping in every month then please go to the website to find out more